Well, I have come to believe that one of the hardest parts about becoming a new parent is not the constant crying or the endless diapers or the nonstop exhaustion. I've come to really believe and find out that the hardest part about becoming a new parent is slowly coming to the realization that your parents were right about so many different things. And students, I know right now you're like, there's no way. And I listen, I know your parents say many things. You're like, that cannot possibly be true. And it might not be, but some of them are probably true. And when we are young or kids or teenagers, there are things that our parents tell us, we're just like, no way. I just cannot believe that that is true. Or there are moments that because of what we're experiencing in the moment that we just fail to really believe it. And you probably remember some of those things. Do you remember when your parents said, hey, this isn't the end of the world? But in the moment, it felt like it, right? Something was disappointing or something happened that made you sad or mad, and you were just losing it in the midst of it. Hey, it's not the end of the world, but you didn't really hear it, and you didn't really feel it, and you didn't really believe them because you were like, no, it is. Like, this is it. This is it. I need to do something big. I need to move schools. We need to move to another city. Like, it was that big. You felt it. Do you remember when your parents told you, hey, you don't actually love that boy or that girl, right? But seven, seventh grade, you was like, no, mom, I do. Like, I am in love. I am going to marry this person. And yet today you're like, I don't even remember their name, right? Like there was some truth in there. Our parents told us, hey, you don't have real problems or you'll thank us when you're older. And one that I always remember when I just refused to calm down or actually, you know, rest, my parents would always tell me, hey, one day you are going to wish that you could take this nap. And looking back, I did. Like I do. I wish that I had taken that nap and I wish that my day revolved around a nap. That would be great. But sometimes we hear things that we refuse to believe or maybe we know that they're true, but in the midst of it, because of what we're feeling so strongly, we just cannot actually trust that it is true. And the reason I tell you that this morning is because we continue our journey with Jesus through the gospel of John. We are going to see today Jesus make a promise that most of us, if not every single one of us, has failed to believe as true at some point in our walk with him. And so if you have a Bible this morning, would you turn with me to the gospel of John chapter 10? John's in the New Testament portion of your Bible. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John And if you don't have a Bible this morning, we would love to send you home with your own copy of God's Word, and you can grab one at the Welcome Center. But we'll also put the words up on the screen. So as you get to John 10, I want you to know that today as we pick up, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and people are demanding that he tell them exactly who he is. They want to know, who are you really? And the reason why is because up until this point, Jesus has been a little elusive about who he really is. He's said things like, I have come to give sight to the blind, or I am the good shepherd, or I am the gate. And so at this point, they are demanding that he tell them. Look at what it says in verse 24. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now they're trying to corner Jesus, and they're demanding, are you the Messiah? Don't keep us in suspense any longer. Just tell us plainly. No more riddles, as we talked about last week. Who are you? And in just a moment, Jesus is going to tell them exactly 
who he is. And he's going to tell them plainly, and in doing so, he's, the, the temperature of this conversation is going to heat up, and he is going to leave them offended and wanting to kill him. So look at what happens next. Verse 25, Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. He's saying the things that I am doing that you're seeing, my good works and my miracles, he's saying they tell you exactly who I am. But he goes on, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep, he's talking about his people, those who follow him. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. Jesus is saying, you know why you don't know who I am yet? You know why you keep asking, you keep wanting me to tell you? It's because you are not my people. You do not belong to God. And this makes them frustrated. He's saying, they know who I am, they know my voice, and they follow me, and you are not them. Now, if you've ever wondered what led people to want to kill Jesus, it's moments like this where they become frustrated and the conversation begins to heat up. And he goes on to say in verse 28, I give them eternal life. Talking about his sheep and those who follow him. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. This is the promise straight from Jesus. This is the promise I want us to look at and talk about this morning that you and I have such a hard time believing in some of the moments in our lives. In some ways, it's like the things our parents told us. Yes, we know it might be true, but in the midst, we feel so many things that we can't really trust it. And so this morning, I want you, I want us to look at it together. And this morning, I want to do something a little different, and I want to ask you a question. And it may be a question that you have heard a hundred times before if you grew up in church. And you may have heard it used to maybe manipulate someone's emotions or maybe it just feels worn out to you because it's been used so many times. If you didn't grow up in church or you're young, you may have no idea what I'm talking about. But this morning, I want you to think about this. And really, the truth is, if you stop and ask yourself this question, not ask anyone else, but just ask yourself internally this question, it's actually a powerful exercise. So this morning, I want you to just think, and imagine that today you died. And imagine you get to heaven and standing at the gates before you can be let in. There's an angel who asks you, who are you and why should you be let in? Like on what basis should you be allowed into heaven? What have you done? Why should you be let in? In. And I just want you to imagine, what would you say in response? Or right now, what are the things that come to mind or that come to your heart to say, like, here's what I would say or here's how I would make my argument or here's why I should be let in. I just want you to think about that for a moment. What would you say and what comes to mind? Do you have your answer? Okay, now I want us to look at another moment in the life of Jesus. And it's some of Jesus' final moments. And as we are in John's account of Jesus' life, the Gospel of John is John's account of Jesus' life and death, I want us to look at Luke's account, and specifically Luke's account of Jesus' death. Because in Luke's account, we are told that when Jesus is crucified, that there are two criminals who are with Jesus, one on each side of them. And we are told that these two criminals have their own crosses, and they are crosses that they deserve. Because these two men in this moment are being punished 
for their crimes. They are being punished for the things that they have done, and they are guilty. And as Jesus and these two men die, I want us to look at their final moments together. This is Luke chapter 23. In verse 39, here's what it says. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, talking about Jesus. And he said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Now, in this man's final moments, which were undoubtedly excruciating and painful as he's dying, he, he turns to bitterness and he chooses to mock Jesus like the rest of the crowd. They mock Jesus saying, hey, you said you were a great king. You said that you were the promised Messiah. Well, look at you now. And this man joins in. He says, I thought you said you were the Messiah. Well, if you are, then save yourself and save us. And in his final moments, he chooses to hurl insults at Jesus. But look at what happens next, verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. This man, in his final moments, I guarantee you, they do not come easy they're difficult to breathe. He is dying there, painful and difficult. And yet he turns and says, don't you understand what's happening here? We are getting what we deserve, but this man is innocent. And in his final moments, he turns to Jesus. And look at what he says. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In his final moments, he cries out to Jesus, he understands and he believes that Jesus is innocent, that Jesus does not deserve to be there, and that he is the king that he claims to be. And so he turns to Jesus and he calls out to him. This is a powerful moment, and it tells us so much about Jesus. Listen, have you ever wondered if God hears you in the midst of your sin? Have you ever done something wrong or made a mistake or multiple mistakes or poor decisions and felt like God doesn't want to hear from you or you felt like he was far away? Have you ever wondered if God wants to hear from you in those moments? Have you ever wondered if God hears the prayers of a sinner? The answer is yes. And the truth is those are the only prayers there are. And look at this. Jesus, this is exactly what's happening here. This man cries out and prays to Jesus and Jesus responds Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And here at the end of Jesus' life are some of my favorite moments of his life because it tells us so much about what it means to follow him. Alastair Begg, who is a pastor in the United Kingdom, I love the way he talks about this moment and about this man on the cross. Because he says, in just a few moments after this exchange, that man died. And he says, I, he says, I can only but imagine what it must have been like for that man to get to heaven and be at the gates and be asked the same question I asked you to think about earlier. You imagine an angel saying, who are you and why should you be let in to that thief on the cross? He says, recognize that He's talking to, the angel is talking to a man who has no good works to show. 
that the angel is talking to a man who went to his death because of his crimes. He's talking to a man who never led a Bible study, who never got baptized, who never served, who never gave, a man who never came off that cross. And he's being asked the question, why should you be let in? And he says, I can't help but imagine that man saying in response, because the man on the middle cross said that I can come. Because that man just a few moments ago that I called out to said that I can come. And that really is the only answer. I want you to think about what you thought about earlier of what you would say or what you would what comes to mind of why you should be let in. And I want you to know that the truth is that this man's response and what we learn from this exchange really is the only answer. It's because of the promise that Jesus has made to you and I. And it's this, it's that eternal life is a gift. It is a gift. That's why Jesus said, I give them eternal life. Talking about his sheep and those who follow him. I give them eternal life. And that is the only answer. That I get in because he says that I can come. I get in because of what that man has done for me. I can get in despite my mistakes and despite my sin. And I can get in because Jesus has said that it is finished. And when we begin to add things to our resume, when we begin to feel like God should want us on his team or we're incredibly valuable to the kingdom, we lose sight of this promise and we lose sight of what God has really given us, a gift of eternal life. It is a gift. And because it's a gift, here's what we can know is true. You can't earn it. You can't earn this gift. There is no amount of good works that you can do. There is no amount of money you can give, no amount of hours you can serve or just good things in your life or to your name that can ever make you right with God. You must receive this gift. And even when we understand this is true and in this room this morning, you may feel like, yes, I know that's true. There are things as as they happen to us in life where we feel like that simply cannot be trusted. We feel like we want to try to earn it. We want to try to work for it. We feel like our mistakes are too big. Our sins are too great. And so there's no way it can be that simple. But the truth is, it is. Look at what the Apostle Paul reminded us in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, for it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. It is the grace of God that saves you. And if that seems crazy, it's meant to. It's meant to lead us to worship a good God. Who does that? God does. And it's meant to lead us to worship him and to not boast in our own accomplishments, our own life, our own giftings, our own possessions and all the things that we have done, but instead to boast in Jesus and what he has done for us. And when we begin to think, oh, I'm necessary. Oh, here's why God wants me on his team. Here's all the things that I have done for him and for his kingdom or for this church. 
we lose sight and we begin to feel entitled. We begin to feel like we are worth more than the people around us. But here's what I want you to know. Every single one of us who has trusted in Jesus, we all stand on the same ground before God. You and me and the thief on the cross and every other guilty criminal in the nearest prison who has put their faith and trust in Jesus, we all stand on the same ground before God because of what Jesus has done. Yes, we do good works. Yes, we are moved to do good works and to give and to serve and to do all of those things out of gratitude because of what God has done for us and in us. But we do not do any of that in order to earn favor with God or to make ourselves right. And I know that sounds crazy, and that may be the hardest thing for you to believe this morning, that you can't earn it, that you have to stop trying to work and just receive. Or maybe this morning, the hard part for you is when you look at the people around you who have messed up lives, who have lives full of mistakes and sins and bad ones, and yet they turn to Jesus, and Jesus says, you are forgiven. Maybe that this morning is what you have the hardest time truly trusting and believing. Eternal life is a gift, and because it is a gift, you can't earn it, and also you can't lose it. And this may be the hardest part for you to believe this morning. How many times in your life and in your walk as a follower of Jesus have you felt inadequate or you've fallen down or you've messed up along the way to the extent that you felt like God is ashamed or God is mad at you or God is done with you? Maybe you felt like, hey, God was with me until I did that thing. God was with me until I made that decision, I made that poor choice, I went there, or I did that thing that I still regret to this day. And in your mind, you feel like God was with you and his grace was with you and you were forgiven until then. And that was a bridge too far. That God's grace does not extend that far. Maybe this morning that's what you wrestle with and fail to trust that God's grace really is that big. And that somewhere along the way you feel like, you lost it, or God's disappointed, or he's far from you. How many times in your walk with Jesus have you felt that? I want us to look, go back to Jesus' words in John 10 and continue to see what he said. Verse 28, he said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. It was upon hearing this that those who were listening freaked out and they moved to seize and tried to capture Jesus because the things that he was saying were too crazy. Jesus basically says in this moment that I, all authority from God the Father has been given to me. The Father and I are one. And he goes on basically to say, I give my sheep, my people, eternal life. They shall never perish, and they are in my hand. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been given eternal life, and you are in Jesus' hand. And nothing can take you out of it. That is a promise straight from Jesus. Jesus said, you will never perish and no one can snatch you out of his hand. And this is huge. And maybe this morning you need to be reminded that that's true. 
to be reminded that our eternal life does not depend, depends on him and not us. That you did not get yourself into his hand and so you cannot get yourself out. That your eternal life depends not on your grasp and hold on him and your feeble hold on him, but on his firm grasp on you. Some days you may feel like your grasp is weak. Some days you may feel like you are barely holding on and Jesus wants you to know that you are in his hand. Now this is a big theological concept known as the perseverance of the saints. It is the belief that once Jesus has changed you and you are his, there you will remain. And nothing can change that. Now, I know that as we talk about this, there are plenty of questions that come up. Like, what about this and what about that? What about those who have fallen away or those who reject faith or those who uh, do this or do that? And I understand there are plenty of questions that come up or come to mind as we think about this. And I want you to know that these are some deep theological waters. And I can see and understand why someone else may fall or believe something slightly different. And we can really antidote this to death by saying, what about this, what about that? But in the midst of all of it, I can only help but go back to the words of Jesus and the promise he made that I did not get myself in to his hand. He put me there. And so I cannot get myself out of it. I cannot unwork myself out of a place that I did not work myself into to begin with. It is a gift, and that is the promise of Jesus. And if that promise is hard to believe, let's look together at the Apostle Paul's reminder for us in Romans chapter 8. And he's talking about this very thing. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. As it is written, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a promise that nothing can separate you from the love of God. No thing. And Paul goes on to say, neither height nor depth nor present nor future nor any power. And he basically says, you know what? Nothing in all creation, no created thing can ever separate you from the love of God. And do you know what's included in that list? You. You are a part of that list. Not even you can separate yourself from the love of God if you have received this gift. If you have chosen to follow Jesus, you and you have given him your life, you are forever changed. Not even you can remove yourself from his hand and from his gift that he has given you. And here's why all of this matters. The gospel, the good news that we're talking about this morning is the source of our comfort and our peace and our confidence while we live this life today. And this is our comfort and our confidence and our peace, not only for the future and the days that will come when we die, but it's also meant to be our comfort and our peace today in the midst of the hard and difficult things of life. This is a promise that nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. And it's important to realize this is not a promise that you will never experience troubles. 
This is not a promise that you will never experience suffering or that you will never experience the difficult things of this life. It is a promise that whatever may come, that you are in his hand and there you will remain. It's a promise that your security that you feel as you walk through life is not in your possessions, that your security does not come from your retirement fund. Your, your security does not come from your reputation or your accomplishments. Your security comes from knowing where you stand with God and that you are in his hand. It's essentially a reminder that those days will come. And so when they do, be reminded in the midst of them of these promises from God, that nothing will separate you from him. And the promise we're talking about today is meant to give you security for eternity, but also security and comfort today in the midst of it. And so this morning, I want to just share with you a story that really brings this to light and puts it in perspective for me of what it looks like to trust this in the midst of the hard things. I want to share with you just, I want to share with you a little bit, one of my best friends, Alex. Alex Howard. He was the best man in my wedding. And I want to show you a picture of him and his family. This is Alex and his wife, Laura, and their three beautiful kids. I want to tell you a little bit about what <clears throat> they have walked through and what we have walked through with them the last few years. In May of 2021, Nora, their oldest daughter there in the middle, was suddenly and surprisingly diagnosed with an incredibly rare form of brain cancer. And it caught all of us by surprise. Um, and I remember in the midst of the chaos and the confusion and, and all of the difficulty, just really running to each other, running to Jesus and, and clinging to these promises that we're talking about today. And it was an incredibly difficult and, and painful and gut-wrenching time. Um, but, but we pressed on. And after a four-month battle uh, with cancer, Nora passed away last September uh, from complications. And it has been one of the most difficult things I've ever had to walk with, with someone I love and, and, and I've ever experienced in my life. And it was gut-wrenching and painful, and it just shook us to the core. And then really the complete unimaginable and unthinkable happened. This last May, Junie, their youngest daughter, was suddenly diagnosed with another different type of rare form of brain cancer. And from that day until now, she has been battling this incredibly rare form of brain cancer. And we are walking with that through them. And it has been painful, gut-wrenching, Difficult to understand. There are millions of questions that we have, and in the midst of it, we are just clinging to each other and to Jesus. And so this morning, I don't want you just to hear their story and what is happening to them or what they're experiencing. Actually, this morning, I wanted to read to you something that Alex wrote just a few weeks ago. And something that he wrote on and about the very promise we're talking about today in John chapter 10. And so I want to read this to you this morning. <clears throat> he wrote, a promise was made in John 10 that no one could snatch us out of your hand. Upon first reading, it seems like we are curled up 
in the warm darkness of God's palm, that we are not only safe from attack, but safe from any sort of pain or struggle, that all of our needs are met in that warm and sure embrace, and hidden there in safety, we can sleep easy, free from the anxieties that the wolves caused when we were still a sheep in the pen. There is seemingly no room for doubt in the cradle of God's hand. But I have found that it is not really like that. I know that I'm in God's hand, but today it feels like an open palm. To my left and right, before and behind me, all I see is open air. I can still see the wolves around us. They are hungry. They're looking at me and wanting to devour. The absolute disaster of learning to live in a world where your children get sick and die of cancer. And a million other tragedies destroys the illusion that God's hand is a refuge from pain. But in this metaphor, the hand of God is never withdrawn. It is not to my left or my right today, but it does remain under my feet. So I'm safe to fall into it. No matter how I stumble and fail and doubt and cry and mourn, he did make me a promise and he does not break those. Today, I simply want to look down and see your hand to know that I am safe to bring nothing to the table, to lack the strength to be anything other than an exhausted child in the arms of his father. This is the promise that Jesus makes us, that we are in his hand and there you will remain. That Jesus' promise gives us comfort now and forever. And in the midst of the difficult, in the midst of the complete unimaginable, it doesn't mean that there aren't days where we have questions and big questions and doubts and heartaches and we cry and we mourn. But in the midst of it all, we can trust and know that Jesus keeps his promises. And when it feels like the world around us is crumbling and collapsing, the very ground beneath us is moving or shaking, we know that we stand and we sit and we fall into Jesus' hand. And that nothing can ever separate us from the promise that Jesus has made. And because Nora knew Jesus, Alex finds comfort and hope and peace in the midst of it all knowing that he will see her again one day. Jesus keeps his promises. And in the midst of the hard things of life, there are times where we fail to believe and trust in them, even though we may know that they are true. And so I wanna encourage you today to know that that is where you stand. You didn't earn it, and so you cannot lose it. And I want you to know this morning that if you feel far from God, if you feel like God is done with you or he's far or he's given up, I want you to know that that is not true. Your actions have consequences and our actions and choices can affect our connection and our intimacy with God, but they cannot change our standing before him. 
We are in his hand because of what he's done. This morning, if you have never trusted Jesus, if you have never experienced that forgiveness or the freedom and the peace that comes from knowing him, I want you today to begin to cry out to him. Just call out and pray to God silently and say the same thing the thief on the cross said, Jesus, I need you. I believe you are who you say you are, and I need you. Listen, the good news of the gospel is the best news. That we have been given a gift, and we cannot lose it. Because Jesus, his final words on the cross were, it is finished. And that tells us that what comes next is not dependent on you or me, that he has done what only he can done and he has brought it to completion. It is finished. And so in the hard and the difficult and the lonely, my prayer is that you would trust and run to his promises that he does not break, that it is finished. And because of that, we worship him. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for that reminder this morning, God, that of what you have done for us. And so, Father, this morning I pray for every person in this room that regardless of what they've come in here with or feeling or walking through, God, that you would remind us of who you are. God, that if we know you, we are in your hand. Regardless of what we may feel in the moment, God, we are in your hand. God, some of us this morning, God, help us to just feel and to know that we can just fall into it. God, that when we mess up, when we stumble, when we fail, we are in the same place in your hand. And Father, in the midst of the difficult and the hard and when things come our way and things happen to us, God, remind us that that is still where we are because of what you have done and what you have said. Father, thank you for that promise. God, and would it bring comfort to us today and in the days to come. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.